0: This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. The name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. And since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here, I figure I'll sponsor the podcast. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet somewhere. I can do this in a basement somewhere. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery, and I can do this podcast. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. You know, we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long, running meetings all day long because we want to help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, then that would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, We have a cash App, We have a PayPal. We have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me. And we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. Oh, you're
1: good. Hi. Hi. How are you? Congratulations on 11 years. Let's start uh, by saying that.
2: Thank you. Thank you, you is, so much.
1: That is amazing. But like, first like I'm just going to say, welcome to the show. Let me just start by saying that. Um, but congrats on 11 years. I mean, that's truly, um, you know, what's that? So you got sober in 2010?: Yes. Okay, cool. Halloween
2: and was my last drink.
1: Was your last drink. So was alcohol your downfall? Yes. yes. It was. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And we'll get into that. So was the, I'm actually going to start a Halloween then, that in 2010 Halloween. Yep. What was it, Halloween 2010, where you woke up the next day and you were like, I'm done?
2: Oh my God. I love that question. Thank you. Um. Well, it had been... A lot, a lot of years of drinking. And
1: we'll, we'll get to those years, too. I'm just curious because yesterday was Halloween and today's your date. So we'll get back today's to this.
2: Today's my date. No. So we'll backtrack. It literally was, um, I was out of like all the, I drank wine and champagne and tequila and vodka and everything. And I was so sick of that. That I decided that night I was going to be super special and have um, brown liquor, as I call it. Like, I don't even know what kind. It was just brown. And I had it in a fancy glass. And I thought, like, oh, okay, This this is going to be really cool. And it wasn't literally, I was like, I got fucked up on that too, even though my intention was, you know, I'm going to be sophisticated and not drink my entire two bottles of wine like I usually do. So I just woke up November 1st and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, shit, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And my son at the time was three. And so that was really, um, my guiding force is that I had had a long, long drinking career and thank God, you know, nothing tragic ever happened. And I wanted to go out like that. You know, I wanted to end my, my drinking career on a, um, I didn't destroy anybody's life, um, you know, except my own. Um, but So that was um, the first part of my really unconventional start into sobriety and into AA because that's really how I did get sober through 12 steps. You did too, right? Oh, yeah. Your 12 steps. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Usually, yeah. Like I literally just started AA meetings at our meeting center um, every day at 9 a.m., Mm -hmm. And um, we host starting today N.A. also at 7 um, p.m. Because there's there's only one N.A. meeting in our town a week.
2: Right. And
1: meth meth is running rampant in our area. And so is heroin. So I you know, I had this building. I'm like, why am I not doing N.A.? You know, so. Yeah,
2: that is so awesome. And, uh, you know, also uh, heroin is huge, even in my teeny tiny town. And um, we don't have enough NA meetings and um, a lot of it has to do with, there's not a lot of old timers, you know, Um, there is, the success rate is so hard and um, so many people don't make it and, but a lot of people do NA, they cross over to AA and depending on your meeting, you know, a lot of people want to share the hardcore stuff. And I love that. You know, I, I need to hear stories. Yeah. Um, but old timers,
1: they're you know, really they're, picky. Some, well, some home are. groups, some home groups are like, yeah, say whatever you want. You're sober. That's all we care about. Just talk. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've been in conservative ones in PA, like in Hershey, and they're just like, you Oh, say alcohol. Don't say pills. And I'm like, you yeah. want, you want me to tell my story that I drove two hours to get alcohol because I couldn't find alcohol anywhere closer. That's what right. you want me to tell my story. You want me right. to lie? I, I'm running yeah. an honest program here,
0: but yeah, rigor,
1: rigorously honest, like you yes. say. But you want me to lie right. because right. you don't like hearing drugs. And you know,
2: <laughs> is, I I just put parts of parts of tw- the twelve step are really it, it's tricky because I want people if they need to share about their needle use, I want them to be able to do that because I need to share. The really nitty gritty of my, you
1: know. What's the book say? What's the book say? If we're not rigorously honest, we're gonna fail at this program. Not word for word, but something like that. Yep. You know, I'm not good at word for words with the book, but reciting it. But I I don't I don't I don't ever want to be that guy that recites word for word the book. You know what I mean? Because I feel like you're just like reading off the top of your head. Absolutely I, I want your rendition of what you read to tell me that you really processed it and broke it down. Yeah. But yeah, if you're not rigorously honest, it's not going to work. Nope, plain and It's simple. not going
2: to work. And, and um, so, so I I didn't um need treatment. I um, I and I had my son was three at the time, so he was really small. So what I did for the first six months of my sobriety, uh, was I was home with him all day and was the best mom. You know, I was present. I was starting to feel good. And, um, if he was sleeping, I was sleeping. If he was awake, I was, you know, awake. And then, um, and then when he'd go to bed, I would go to bed. And I did that for six months. I didn't admit I was an alcoholic. I never went to one meeting. And when I say that in meetings, people are like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, And they'll look at me and they'll be like, I've had people come up to me and say, "Mm, if you good, you know, good luck or or something along those lines. And I'm like, I have control over it's me and this hand. If I'm not going to go buy it and put it in my face, then it's not happening. You know, it's not mad. I'm not magically going to get drunk again. And so. The way I got sober was not the way, you know, I would suggest for anybody, but it it worked for me in my life in that moment. And, um, it really wasn't until I walked into my first meeting and sat down and it was my turn. I was like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. And as soon as I said it, like, I still get chills because, um, oh, I had this thing. I wasn't sure if I was going to have to use it. But now it's in my hand. So anyway. Oh, and crystals because I'm
1: a yes. crystal girl. So is my wife. Don't worry. She, <laughs> crystals, tarot, say, I, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she yeah, has yeah. an entire meditation room on the other side of our, our meeting center. Oh, and that. she does tarot readings out of there. She does witchcraft. Like, she's like, you know, she's a good witch. And she does potions <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, oh, I love that. Like, heal, oh, healing potions for her. people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. So she just started her podcast too, doing um tarot readings for people.
2: No way! Yeah, I, I want to be a customer. I okay, love, <laughs> you got I it. I love tarot. I have a whole table of all my decks, and it's just, that's it's awesome. just fun. She, you it's have an fun. altar too. I, it is a little altar. Yeah,
1: that's what it, she has. Like, and
2: I pulled I pulled some special crystals so, just so I can have and cannot be so nervous this morning. So
1: yeah, there's no reason. So wait, and you went in six months. Yeah. Did you get did you get a six month ship your first day? Yes. Okay.
2: Which again, super unconventional, but that's kind of the way my life has, you know, been rolled out. Like it just I it, it made sense to me. Um
1: so when you said you got chills when you said that, and even I got chills because I know that feeling of saying that for the first time saying, and actually yeah. and and saying it with conviction and meaning it. Right. And then and then Did you like if you got chills, did you realize after you said it like, oh, shit, I am an alcoholic?
2: Yes. Well, that was exactly (laughs) it. It was a matter of as soon as it came out, I said, oh, shit, now I really can't drink. Like if there was ever a in, in that six months, I didn't because I didn't want to. But once I said it, I was like, well, now I know I am. Everybody in this room knows I'm an alcoholic. Well, if I know that, then I can't drink. Like, my whole career is over. So it was like I kind of, you know, um, I just, I gave myself up in a way, you know. Yeah. And so it was super freeing, though. I mean, it was the freest I've ever felt because um, I knew I knew I was in a place that people understood me. And that has, you know, that was really my trouble my whole life is that I always felt out of place. And, you know, I, I'm no different. A lot of the people you talk to, in fact, I was watching um, your your back podcast with people yeah. trying to figure out, like, you know, what you ask and people's stories. And I'm like, well, gosh, my story's pretty boring. Like, what what am I going to have to say that, you know, is is going to inspire someone. But every time I go to a meeting and I don't know about you, I'm sure we hear something. We hear something that we, that we needed to hear in that moment. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know? So that's kind of really my whole hope is that somebody will see you because they follow you and hear this and, you know, take something away that you don't have. You don't have to be, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink in the morning. I didn't, um, you know, I, I was super functional, super functional, um, to the point where I had people come up to me, you know, in the following years and say, did you really have a problem? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh, you weren't there when I fell into that closet or you weren't there when, you know, um, I, well, it's not
1: even that it's not how much you drank. It's why we drank.
2: Why we drank. And, and I was a blackout drinker. I yeah. mean, I it I didn't stop until. Yeah, there's
1: I, plenty of people that could out drink me in my days. Even in my prime of drinking, there's plenty of people that don't go to the rooms that could out drink me. But yet I was drinking to forget. I was drinking to harm. And they were drinking to party. Right. You know, so like, yeah, they don't have to go to the. Like, I when I got sober, one of my good friends at the time, we don't talk anymore. We'd been friends since first grade, though, you know, so that's like a 20 year friendship we had. And I came back from rehab and then um, one of my really good friends had an overdose and died. Um, so that I went back into town and I was meeting up with my friends to go to the funeral together and they were all doing shots. Now, the person that died got sober when I got sober. He was in Florida. I was in California and we talked all the time about sobriety. We both came back to our towns at the same time, except he relapsed and I didn't. And I always say, you know, he died so I could live. You know, that's, that's how I can live with things, with grief nowadays. You know, when someone goes out, I have to be morbid and say they died so I could live to teach me a lesson that I didn't want to learn. And um, so I'm at, the, at this guy's house. He goes, oh, we're all doing shots for Jesse. I said, fucking not. You think he wants me to do a shot right now? Like, yeah. you're not an alcoholic. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, no, I could outdrink you any day. You're not an alcoholic. I said, listen, I'm not taking your inventory. I'm a fucking alcoholic. I'm telling you I am. So I am not taking that shot because that's not what Jesse would want. Right. So, and then one of my other friends backed me up, like, dude, just fucking leave him alone. He doesn't want to drink. Right. You know? And, you know, and that's the thing is I hate having to think that way and I hate having to tell people that. But if I don't get like really just like not upset, but like um demand, not demanding, but like um, I don't I can't think of the word. But if I'm not strictly honest, like, hey, I can't fucking drink anymore. Right. Like, if I'm not like mean about it, if I'm nice, like, oh, no, thanks. They're going to keep pressuring. Yeah. I have to get mean sometimes about it, or else they're going to keep pressuring, especially old friends. You know, friends. I don't even, you know, I I have, you you find new friends in the program, as you know. Everyone's on Facebook, like, oh, I'm bored and I'm lonely in sobriety. It's like, get off fucking Facebook and go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. We're here. (laughs) We're waiting for you.
2: Yes. Like, sure so, so when
1: classic. did when did you start drinking let's backtrack a bit
2: all right um 15, your first drink 15 Fifteen. yep and it was uh vodka and orange juice <laughs>
0: nice.
2: and I was really um I was so naive about it because I you know was at a high school party in the woods mm-hmm. and because that's what we did yep. and um <laughs> it I drank so late in the evening, and I didn't know, like how how alcohol hits you. So I didn't feel it until I walked through the front door of my parents' house, and oh, they were livid. They were so mad because the more they talked to me, the more drunk I got. Like yeah, yeah. You know, I was just <laughs> a tiny little fifteen-year-old girl. So, um, but that was the first time that I felt like oh this is nice like i i it gave me confidence that i didn't have and um it, it just made me feel like myself
0: this episode is sponsored by mj's progress not perfection meeting center association the name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held we are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. And since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here, I figure I'll sponsor the podcast. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet somewhere. I can do this in a basement somewhere. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery, and I can do this podcast. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. You know, we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long, running meetings all day long because we wanna help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, then that would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you yep. can be a okay, sponsor. So
1: did you have your first hangover also?
2: Um. Yeah. Yep. In fact, um, <laughs> Yes. As I was walking up the stairs, you know, shamefully to go to bed, my mom was like, I hope you puke. And I'm pretty sure I did. So, um, yeah, there was, there was that hangover. And then, you know, I mean, it wasn't until I really got out on my own and was old enough to drink where it was, it became daily, you know, before that, when you're, not old enough and you live in small towns, you, you just can't, you can't
1: find it. It's not as easy.
2: You know, my drinking didn't really pick up, I would say until I was 21 and and could do it legally. Um, but did you go to college somewhere? Um, I went to hairdressing school. I did that for a little while and I just didn't have the patience to grow, my clientele. And I just, I wanted to get out on my own. I was still living at my parents and I didn't want that because I I wanted to be able to, you know, make my own decisions. So I ended up, um, moving out and getting at one point, I had three different retail jobs, you know, to make rent and whatever, but I loved it because I was free. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was, um, that was a weird, that was a really weird time in my life because uh, my best friend from high school had died um, really tragically in a car accident that was drinking and driving. And so I was really young and not equipped to deal with that kind of pain. So that kind of all got buried. And so when I really started drinking it was it was just to cover up pain and insecurities and fear and um you know when I drank I could be whoever I wanted to be and I loved it you know yeah. um
1: and how are your relationships with drinking like not like did you have relationships while you were drinking too?
2: Oh yes. Um yeah were, were they <laughs> effect, were they
1: affected by it like or were you drinking with them or were they yeah, using I
2: always Picked people that drank like I did for the most part um yeah. in fact uh I was with um my son's father for 16 years and we I got sober while I was still with him but um we we drank and partied a lot and you know I mean I I, I thought it was normal like that's what couples do and yeah you know in our 20s. And yeah. And I didn't have kids. And you know, like this is this is completely normal. Um and and even in then I tried some drugs, but like Coke was the thing I tried when I was down in Florida once. And I knew it the first, the first yep. thing that went up my nose. Is I wasn't even done sniffing. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing.
1: Yeah, it pairs nicely with alcohol.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I said, oh, it's a good thing I don't live down here because I would be a fucking coke addict tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I did it twice. and But I tell you that the hangover from that, I mean, I wanted to shoot myself in the face. Like it, you don't sleep. And then all the normal people are getting up in the morning to go do their jobs. And you, you still haven't fallen asleep.
1: And then once you do finally fall asleep, then you wake up with the hangover from the drinking that you did yeah. with the Coke.
2: Yeah, it was really bad. But oh, my God, the, the high of cocaine was that was pretty phenomenal.
1: Well, that's why, you know, you're an addict. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's oh, how yeah. you know, like oh, yeah. the, the, the fact that you can say to yourself, oh, good thing I'm not near this or else I would do this every day, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel that way about a lot of things when I would try them like, oh, thank God I can only do this like here and there. I yeah. felt that way about acid. Did
2: you? Um, I never got to try
1: that. And it, I, I went from a phase of drinking stopped working at 22. Right before I turned 22, drinking wasn't working anymore. I started drinking at 11. You know what I mean? So by 22, it just wasn't doing it. And so I was looking for something new to escape with because grief was my thing. Um, grief and loss was a really big trigger for me. And um, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try hallucinogenics. So I went, like, on a three-week binge of either doing acid or mushrooms or ecstasy. And I was like, I can't do this shit every day. Like, <laughs> this, because yeah. you are so, using a hanger from Coca's bed. Oh, my God, acid. 18 is- hours, you're high. And then you need an extra day to recuperate. Like, you need a full-on day of just doing nothing. But just, like, but it does open up your mind. I mean, you know, acid was used back in the day for alcoholics to help them get off alcohol. And mushrooms still are because it opens up. You know how they always say you only you don't ever think of one side of your brain at once.
2: Yeah.
1: It like opens it up and you start having these thoughts that you people have bad trips because they don't know how to process. And if they don't do it, if they do it alone or with somebody else that's doing it for the first time, that's when they have a bad trip. If you're doing it with somebody experienced, they can guide you. Like, oh, no, 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 you're fine. Oh, no, that's good. No, that's normal. Like, you can think that way. It's okay. Because the thoughts that creep into your mind are, like, the kind of thoughts that you have when you're doing a fourth step. (laughs) Like, I'm a horrible piece of shit. (laughs) Like, this and this. Yeah, so I couldn't do that every day. And then, you know, and plus I couldn't get it. any. We got There was a festival in town. That's why there was a lot of acid around. And then when the festival leaves, there goes the acid. Mm-hmm. So, um, then I found pills a couple weeks later and I was off to the races for nine and a half years.
2: Benzos or opiates?
1: Both. Um, Both. yeah, Rox Roxy's Roxy thirties. I was, I call them my first love in my story. Um, the person that interviewed me, I interviewed him months ago. So I had him come back on and interview me and I told him that's my first love, you know, like I had that. And then my first fiance. Um, she was bipolar, schizophrenic, and an alcoholic, and she committed suicide, and then now I'm married, and, you know, she has MS, um, but my first love was Roxy's, and because I wanted them every day, I would do anything to get them any day, even if I wasn't doing them, and I wasn't even withdrawn, it's all that was on my mind, um, and then when I started doctor shopping is when I got into benzos, too, because, you know, the doctors, they were like, what do you want, you know, just like- you know, what do you want? I'll write you a script. And I'm like, all right, I want 120 30s and I want 120 Xanax bars. All right, here you go. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you next month. And then, you know, I hate that. Got in a car accident because of Xanax. Xanax always got me in trouble. You know, really opiates. I, I could do 30s and nobody would like say anything to me. The people that did them, they'd be like, hey, you got a little something in your nose or. Hey, your pupils are really dilated, you know, stuff like that. Right. But like, I was never like caught, you know, if that makes sense. Nobody ever called me out that wasn't supposed to call me out. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: And you, but you never did with, anything illegal for it?
1: it um, I did, but never got in trouble, never got yeah. caught, all that kind of stuff. But on yeah. benzos, whole difference. St- I got in a car accident with an S, you know what I mean? Multiple. Yeah. Um, I the I remember. The last time I did Xanax, I was driving on the PA Turnpike, and I was driving to Jersey. I would drive from Lancaster County to Philadelphia, Jersey area, about an hour and a half, two hours each way. Mm -hmm. I would do that trip four times a week to pick up pills and then drive all the way back again. Um, That's why I didn't want to say alcohol (laughs) in those meetings. So I'm driving there, and I see, okay, cool, I'm 30 miles from my exit. Like I saw the mile marker. Um, A minute later – I swear it was a minute later. Not even I came to and I was 30 miles past my exit. You know, 60 miles, 90 miles per hour with my dog in the back seat. Yep. You know, yep. and yep. I that was the last time I did Xanax. Um, I was wow. in tre- I was in treatment two weeks later. Yeah. Um, But like that scared the shit out of me.
2: Yeah. It was yep. All the
1: driving I did that scared me out of Xanax. But I stole on Xanax. I got arrested because of Xanax multiple times. Xanax was a horrible downfall for me. Wow. I I would say, though, without Xanax, I might still be on pills. You know, because if Xanax didn't take me down those bad paths all the time, I would still be a functioning addict. I was holding I was holding jobs. I lived on my own. I had my own. You know what I mean? Like people didn't look at me like you're a drug addict. You're homeless and you have nothing like I'm overweight. You know, drug addicts aren't overweight usually. So you know, you never,
2: did you ever have to resort to heroin or was it always available to
1: – I got really lucky. You know how it took you six months to say you were an alcoholic? Yeah. Um, I knew within a month of using that I was an addict. Um, a month into me doing pills, I was with one of my best friends at the time, and we're still good friends to this day. He doesn't do drugs or anything. like He does concerts and shit. He's in a band. And, um, he had just gotten wisdom teeth out and they gave him perk fives. I'm taking Roxy thirties, which is like mounds of much, much harder. I snorted four of them and then went over to his house. He ate one five milligram perk and was out cold. And I'm sitting there just like high as a kite on 120 milligrams. And I'm like, all right, um, I have a problem, you know, and he's like a pothead and you know, he drinks, but not like alcoholically, but he would party. I was like I have a problem with this. What are you mm-hmm. going to do about it? And I was like, well, I this is a conversation I had like, well, I love this. This makes me feel good. This takes yeah. me out of who I want to who I am and who I want to be. And it gives me confidence and it helps me to talk and it you know, I feel right. good and I want this. It doesn't matter. Just don't do heroin and you won't lose control. So, I think if I would have did heroin, I would have been in rehab sooner. But since I didn't do heroin at all and I was functioning for nine and a half years yeah. is why I went so long with just pills, because I had that conversation with myself. A lot of addicts don't have that conversation because they don't want to believe that they're addicted. Right. You know, but- so since I was honest with myself in the beginning, I could I got close to doing heroin one time. And it's only because I was withdrawing so bad at work doing retail and I couldn't find anybody. My dealer wasn't answering me back. And the one guy I worked with, like, we can spot each other, opiate addicts, like, especially in addiction, we can spot the signs of the sweating and the long sleeves, all that kind of stuff. And he he was like, hey, man, like, you're in rough shape right now. I can see it on your face. He was like, I got some dope on me. Go into the bathroom. I'll set up a line. You do a little bump and you're going to feel a lot better and you're not going to get all like crazy high. I was like, all right, maybe let me get back to you. I appreciate it. It's good to know it's there. It makes me feel a little bit better. And then finally... Um, I was like, hey man, like, go set that up. And then, um, I got a text as I said that saying, hey, I'll be about a half an hour. So I said, never mind, never mind. He's going to be here in a half an hour. And then I stole money from the register and I paid for him, you know, like an adult. <laughs> I, used, <laughs> I used to, and I got caught stealing and I did get fired for it. I worked at Best Buy for a decade. And yeah, you know how there's slots, you know, the registers, you worked retail, there's that slot they put the big bills under. I would get the the strong tape, like the strong tape, and I would stretch it out, and I would put it through and, like, fish the bills out. <laughs> well, as I was staying, I would lean against the register so the cameras couldn't see what I was doing yep. as I was pulling out hundreds.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I would always pull from registers that I wasn't bringing on. This way, I was never coming back to me. Right but, right, but they they finally caught on to that though because all of a sudden every ten people on this register missing five hundred dollars and everyone but me was on it. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking cash customers to the front because I don't want to bring cash there, you know? So oh I eventually did get caught and it is what it is and I made my amends and I'm friends with that manager to this day now. I just made amends with her three months ago because her and I were close friends. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, pills suck. And I am, I am so afraid to go back. I am, I have using dreams sometimes still, you know, and Mm -hmm. those dreams always take it back to, I can't do this ever again. Right. It's not getting any better, you know, and going to meetings and running meetings every day helps me remember it's not getting any better out there. Right. You know, fentanyl is in these press pills all the time. Now you don't know what you're getting and scares the shit out of me, you know, and because I was so particular with my pills because I was I knew I was an addict that like I would I'm afraid I would do a fentanyl pill just because it would be something in front of me now. You know, this is then. Thank God I'm so far away. I haven't touched um, like Roxy's or anything in three and a half years.
2: That's awesome.
1: My sober date is two twenty nine twenty twenty 20, mm-hmm. months ago because I picked up drinking again, 13 months into sobriety because of, you know. <laughs> because of that home group, because of me. Because <clears throat> was thought you ed- could. Well, it, well, in Hershey, where I was going to AA, they were like really adamant against my program, openly adamant against my program because I use cannabis in it. And now I've used cannabis since day one. I went to a rehab called High Sobriety that mm-hmm. taught me how to ch- change our relationship with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I never abused it mm-hmm. still to this day. The only reason you know that I use cannabis is because I'm so open about it. Right. Um, but they didn't like the fact that I was so open about it. Mm-hmm. So they were really apprehensive about getting me a one year chip. Um, so on my thirteen months mm-hmm. is when I relapsed and I bought a six pack of twisted tea and I poured the first two out and then I drank the other four because mm-hmm. just to prove to myself that I didn't need all six because I'm not an alcoholic. You oh. know. You know? Did it work? Well, <laughs> All summer long, I didn't drink alcoholically. You know, I would go to, like, comedy shows. I used to do stand-up, so I would go to comedy shows, um, have a drink here or there, you know, Jack and Coke here and there, um, Christmas time, you know, holidays, you know, nothing crazy. And then I drank a bottle of Jack on February 28th, like a whole bottle, and I woke up hung over as shit on that Saturday morning, and I said to my wife, I'm not supposed to be hungover. I shouldn't have drank that bottle. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Like, and plus 229 is an amazing sober date that you only get one chance every four years to get this sober date. And I was like, you know.
2: J.D., that was um, my best friend that died in that car accident. That was her birthday.
1: No shit. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. I know.
2: So she only got to celebrate her birthday. Like three times? Yeah.
1: Three or four times? Yeah. Um, that's my wife's sober day two. She quit drinking that day too.
2: Wow. That's so we, awesome.
1: And then, quarantine, that. and then quarantine hit two weeks later. <laughs> um, but that's how this was born was, you know, we missed meetings, but we didn't want to yeah. do AA because of how I felt from the first time. So we started a meeting center eventually once COVID let up a little bit. And now yeah. here we are. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me to give you some uh, <laughs> background.
2: You know, so listen, I wanted to tell you that um, after 11 years today of sobriety, I have, um, you know, I, I struggled with, like I've told you, self-worth and self-confidence my whole life. And I had, I was in the restaurant industry for 16 years and, um, you know, I just hated people because of it. And then I became a mail carrier a few years ago. And I'm like, this is really good. I was proud of what I was doing. And then the pandemic hit. And I was, it was insane, the amount of work that was being put upon us, um, because nobody could go shopping, you know, like our load just kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was really stressing me out, like, deeply. And I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning. And it was all around not going well and i have always struggled with trying to find something you know that i could do for a job that meant something to me and i felt like i was you know making a difference somehow some way and i had never heard of it until i started researching it which is recovery coaching and I don't know if they have it. Do they have it in
1: I know no, I I think that it's pretty much anywhere. I think it's the person it can be a recovery coach. But I know I've heard of people in this area that are coaches or whatever. Yeah. Um, but go on.
2: So we're um we have to go through a certification through our state and only um it's not like I can practice out of my home type thing. I work for a place. So I thought, oh, my God, I could I could help somehow, some way women, you know, on their journeys. And so um, this summer I went through the school and certification and um, I've been doing that. And then I and I have like 12 women that I'm coaching right now. And I just um, took the class to do the emergency department intakes at our hospital. So anybody that comes in from substance use is uh, there. We have a lot of ODs um, that come in and um, people uh, really, really sick from alcohol. Like they, they, they have to be admitted. Um, Our local hospital now has four beds available for a medical detox, which is huge um, because we just, we don't have beds available in this state you know, to help people not enough anyway. So I've been doing that, um, since, uh, when did I start coaching the beginning of July? So I feel like for the first time, and I'm 49 years old, and I feel like I'm doing something that, might help someone you know and, and it, just like you doing this and and having your center and hosting meetings like how much does it help your own recovery you
1: know what I mean it, it's it's why I have to get out of bed to do this you know what yeah. I mean like yes. Um, yes so how it helps me is if I don't do this podcast I'm miserable you know like I in September you know how September's recovery month yes. Um, I did 30 episodes in 30 days of 30 different stories, Um, and I was recording some It is, and um, it's a lot of intense stories, too. Some of them were like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm here when I'm hearing kind of stories, you know, and it takes me a little bit the process, but I would do sometimes four episodes in a day just to record them and have them stacked up and ready to release yeah. by September 20th. I had them all recorded except for my wife's episode, which I recorded on the 29th because that was my birthday. And I put out my episode of my birthday and then I put out hers the next day because of having us end that way. But anyway, by the 20th, I was like done and edited everything and uploaded everything. Just needed to like wait day by day to release them. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing I was like getting depressed and um, we weren't having a big turnout for some of the meetings that I, that I was attending Mm-hmm. and I wasn't talking to enough addicts. And then yeah. when I when I sat down and I did my wife's interview, um, as soon as we were done, I hopped on another call because this girl wanted to finish. She had done a part one. She had did one episode, and she was like, hey, I left some stuff out that I really need to talk about that I was kind of ashamed of. Can I do a part two? And I said, mm-hmm. hell yeah. So I got done with my wife's interview, and then I hopped on Skype with her, and then I felt like a million bucks. And I said to Mikey, I was like, I need to do more podcasts. I was like, I need, I can't hold off for a week because I need this podcast in order to talk to somebody like myself for an hour or so. And just to relate with somebody, you know, and it's so important to me. The meetings are so important to me. Even when one person shows up, that's all that matters. Like, let's have a conversation. Let's get into it. I don't mind. I'm a very open person and you can tell me anything and I'm not going to judge, Because I can't judge anybody. I wouldn't want someone judging me. Right. But the meetings and the podcasts are so, even the TikTok recovery community, I'm surprised by how how big it is.
2: I'm Um, really, really excited. Except I saw a girl say that she feels like TikTok is kind of um, not putting our stuff out as much as they should be or as much as they could be. That if you have recovery in any. Hashtag and any anything that TikTok's like, mm, I don't know about that. Do yeah. you find
1: that? Yeah, I I get I um I've seen that. Like it's funny that I get I got a bigger response from like my dumb video of like rehab socks than I did anything else. Right. Like I have a lot of amazing clips on my TikTok right. of previous episodes. Yes. But the thing that got the most attention without me having to promote it was that video that's eight seconds of me zooming in on some girl's rehab socks that reminded me of rehab. Exactly. Oh, I saw that. That was hysterical. <laughs> when I played the at last and I put on the because whenever yes. I saw that, I immediately in my head, I thought of that of at last. So I was like, oh, my God. And my wife, poor Mikey, we were in the ER because she was in so much pain that day for her MS. And we waited for like an hour in the ER. And then this girl was sitting over there in, in the waiting room waiting to get picked up from her stay in a 72-hour hold. Okay. And so that's why you know, she only had one shoe in that bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's why she was wearing socks yeah. still. And yeah, I kept yeah. looking at her socks, and I just kept thinking of that song, and I kept thinking of rehab. And I was like, I got to fucking record this. And <laughs> so, and she didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, I kind of zoomed in, like, looking at my phone, like, being really shady and just, like, zooming yeah. in on it. And I was like, all right, yeah. I'll edit that in post. So oh, I went into iMovie, and I made it slower, and then I put it in TikTok and added the song, and I was like, this is perfect. Oh,
2: it, it, it was. It was yeah. hysterical. <laughs> but I do, I find that, that I get, and it depends on the days. Some days I have, I mean, my account is really small. I have, like, a, a little over a thousand. Yeah, me too, hours. yeah. But um, some days I can have, like, 300 views and then the very following day same content 70 views I'm like something they just don't like
1: yeah I posted my dog yesterday and you know my brother said he cried my sister said she cried and then it got 47 views right you know and then like I post a, a funny clip of something else that gets a thousand I'm like what in the fuck
2: yeah, I
1: know. <laughs> exactly. that. It, so, it but fa- yeah, I, but it I post on Facebook sense. too. I post on Facebook and I post on Instagram. Um, I just started using TikTok like last week, honestly. Like I've been, no! I've been posting on there for months yeah. since I started, but I would post and then I would leave, you know, yeah. I would post it and go. I yeah. wouldn't even watch anything. And then someone's like, check out the TikTok community for recovery. Cause it's pretty big and it's growing. Yeah. And then that's, it was like, yeah, a week and a half ago. That's when I started trying to even get followers and make more videos. And then, yeah, I went from a hundred and hundred followers to like a thousand in less than a week. Once I started like reaching out to people like you.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, of course I got addicted um, to TikTok. of course, because that's what we do um, during the pandemic. Yeah. Cause I was like, and my son was home, and he would watch it. And I'm like, oh, this is he's, like,
1: 14. what, 10? He was, like, he's 10? 13. 13, 13. yeah.
2: Yeah, he'll be 14 in December. And I was just like, oh, this is probably some dumb app that, you know, teenagers. And then all of a sudden, I was just hooked. And it took me from the pandemic up until um last, no, two months ago is when I made my first TikTok. And I was like, I, I didn't even... I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know I could like filter out my wrinkles and all that. And I was like, it it was so weird. And what I did not know is it it immediately goes to your phone contacts. So my ex and my sister, they were like, what are you doing? What are you doing on TikTok? I'm like, I don't know, but just leave me alone. Like I'm, I'm having fun. So I kind of do like I do a lot of recovery stuff, but i'm I'm learning that nobody even wants to hear three minutes on
1: no not the, on the short the shorter the better yeah um yeah. the more you can edit something down and yeah. trim like I actually do most of my editing in iMovie, and just because I'm really well versed in iMovie so like I'll do all my editing in iMovie and then add music and then go, yep. and then sometimes I don't even add i I actually add the music most of the time in iMovie because I want certain parts of the song that aren't available on TikTok. So I'll do all the editing on iMovie, but then I go to TikTok, I add the song, and I turn the volume all the way down so that it's still there and I won't control for copyright. But it's like the at last. When I kept trying to do it on TikTok, it kept trying to give me the beginning yeah. Of the of the like music like coming in like but I was yeah. like no I wanted to start off with the outlet. Right. so that's so how I did that
2: I am not I am not versed in any of what you just said so <laughs> if there's a song I like and you know I want to use and it doesn't have it's not in that part I'm like ah shit I, I guess I just don't use that song I'm like I'll just use something else but because I'm not that crafty
1: yeah but.
2: But I am finding that it feels good to be able to have, you know, someone, um, a lot of us, uh, you know, are the recovery TikTok people are so considerate and kind. I haven't had one negative response to any video. Nobody's like, you know, who are you? What do you think you, you know, you're saying like, everybody's so nice
1: and guess guess what there's going to be you're going to get it and you probably will eventually and i say and I'll
2: that
1: cry. <laughs> and no and i and i haven't gotten it either yet but i will because i to get it on facebook all the time yeah and um i get it on youtube sometimes too and it is what it is but i work a program i'm not going to take your inventory if you want to take my inventory that's your program to run not mine right you know if you want to be upset because i um okay with matt and i support people that are using vivitrol and i use cannabis and i support somebody using suboxone and i support somebody using methadone work a program that's all i care about right you know so i get hate for that because i'm so open about my cannabis use you know i haven't i don't even touch cannabis like in a week because i haven't had the money to and it is what it is i don't withdraw it just helps me feel better and get through some shit sometimes helps me sleep i don't really sleep i have insomnia like I'm not like, oh, I'm an insomniac. Like, no, I'm an insomniac. My, you know, I got the rehab, and I said to my doctor, oh, I'm an early bird and a night owl. They're like, no, honey, you're you're an insomniac. No one's both. You're, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes, you know, and I don't like taking trazodone or seroquel and all those other yep. ambient. I, I won't take yep. them. And but they
2: described that stuff in, in treatment facilities. Oh um, my god,
1: Trazone, I felt so yeah. hungover every single day. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I took it three times and I just said, I'm no, just give me um what's the all natural shit that they would give? Um, melatonin. melatonin. Yeah. I was like, give me that, you know, I'll take yeah. that instead. And then, you know, but yeah, this the Trazodone, I hated. And yeah. the sea I didn't trust myself on because I was on a diet when I got the rehab, because like I said, I was an overweight drug addict. So like Cirquil, I saw all these people getting the munchies and oh, yeah, right. they would eat so much food at 11 o'clock at night in bed. My one friend had a his drawer would just fill with empty wrappers because <laughs> every night <laughs> he would get the Cirquil munchies and then just be eating in bed. And I was like, OK, I can't take that. So yeah. I just I, fi- I figured it out. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's a lot of hate out there. And there and it is what it is. If you want yeah. to hate on someone's program, then that's your inventory, you need to do your steps again. You need to look at yourself.
2: Absolutely. And and what I've learned, um, so being a recovery coach is different than, um, being a sponsor. And and I literally thought going in, I knew nothing. I just, so
1: what's the difference? What would you say that it's
2: with a sponsor? You know, um, sponsorship is you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're not going to do that. And you're going to call me and You know, sponsors get to cross a lot of lines, you know, and and that's what what they do. And, you know, and there's a place for that. But recovery coaching is literally, it's defined as deep, deep listening, but also letting the person in front of you find their own path. And we provide, you know, all kinds of resources as far as, you know, you want this program. Okay. You want this. And what I've learned is my recovery is mine. And the way I got sober is the way I got sober. And, you know, one of my girls that I coach, she does pot and she just celebrated, you know, a year and that is her program. And it is, um, I mean, you know, there's celebrate recovery, which is like the God based 12 steps. There are a lot of ways people can get clean and sober. It is not just 12 steps. And, um, and it's my job to respect the person in front of me, how they want to do it. Um, and, and, and also harm reduction is fucking huge. Like, it, that gives me chills of hearing, um, you know, uh, opiate addict that, um, now just, just uses alcohol or just uses, um, weed. And that is, that is harm reduction.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a huge group on Facebook called hams, H-A-M-S. Um, I actually had the guy, this guy, Kenneth Anderson on my show, uh, early on, um, he wrote literally the book on harm reduction. Um, and he is the main moderator that started this group that has like 10,000 people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and HAM stands for Harm Reduction, Abstinence, Maintenance, and um, Support. Yep. Yep. And it's all about, you know, whatever your program is, your program is. If you just want to drink one drink a day, if, like this guy still does planned intox days. Once a week, he drinks a bottle and that's it. And he's been doing that for over a decade. And he picks the day. He doesn't go out. He does it at home. He just watches movies. And he even gets his liquor delivered to him on that day. You know? And that's his program. he's right. been, He's been through rehabs. He's been through AA. He yep. has master's degrees on master's degrees. Yep. And he's almost like that guy that's too smart for his own good that when you talk to him in AA, he's, like, finding all the holes. You yeah. know? Oh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> you know he's this guy? the
2: devil's advocate of just. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I got really good at relating in. I don't know about you. Um, As a salesman, it was easy for me to relate in. So now I can relate to anybody's story, whether it's yours or whether it's an old timer that hasn't picked up a drink in 32 years. I can find a way to relate to you, even if it's something as dumb as, oh, you have a brother and sister, so do I.
2: We're the same. Right.
1: You know, because I want to relate. You know,
2: I just I really want Everybody out there to um not have the stigma you know Matt has a stigma and you know or it, it does in certain communities and um I just coaching has just opened my eyes to you know everybody's recovery path is different, and what works for me may not work for you and vice versa, and that's okay and, and Really, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing I've um, learned in the last, well, I don't know, four or five months, is that it opened my eyes to, um, there, are, there are lots of different ways. JD, can I tell you one thing that I just, and I'm sure we're, I don't know how long we've you, been
1: on no, should... Some people have gone three hours, some have gone a half an hour. There's no time limit. Okay.
2: I just I want to touch on one super important thing and that is this whole um bullshit mommy wine culture that I would
1: fucking I'm So glad you said that.
2: I'm so I would if you want to title this, you know, like the 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 fucking downfall of mommy wine culture. It is absolutely insanity to me um you know because of of course I was an alcoholic you know all through but I had my baby and I will tell you this JD I was getting up in the middle of the night feeding him and changing him and not remembering and I remember one morning I woke up and I said to my ex you know I was with him at the time and I said if I don't remember changing him and feeding him who's to say I didn't put him in the dishwasher and, and the guy and he laughed at me and I'm like no I'm fucking serious like it scared me that I was still drinking as if I wasn't responsible for another human being um and you know part so of did that- you
1: go that nine months pre- pregnant sober like
2: completely sober and then I was- but
1: Yep, because I was
2: like, I get 40 weeks to make this, you know, beautiful human being. I'm not going to fuck it up. Yeah. And so it was, of course, I completely substituted with sugar because I'm a fucking addict.
1: Well, and, and you're in your mid-30s. Yeah, you definitely don't want to, like, chance, like, you know.
2: Yeah, I was 35. Yeah. I was going to say pregnant. mid-30s, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so instead of drinking through my pregnancy, I ate and gained 60 pounds and um I topped the scales at two hundred and I told the doctor, I'm like, stop weighing me. Um stop fucking weighing me. So anyway, I was but thank God, you know, I'm he <coughs> beautiful boy, healthy. But this Did this, you
1: breastfeed or did you start yeah, drinking right away?
2: I wasn't able to because I was so sick when Oh no, yeah, was- it doesn't
1: matter. Yeah, if you were not able, you're not able. So yeah, that was I your, wasn't able. That was and your excuse to start drinking again.
2: Yeah. So I was able to drink, you know, pretty, you know, I'm not sure how old he was when I first started back, but slowly, you know, I was drinking like I always did. And of course I waited till five o'clock. I was super civilized, this bullshit wine culture of this, this mommy thing. And so I convinced myself that what I was doing was okay, that all moms did this. Like, yes, I drank. Alcoholically, and you know, in my past, and oh, I was out at bars, but now I was home and I was raising a kid and keeping a house and you know, doing all that. And I'm like, this is completely acceptable.
1: So it's I have
2: fucking not, it's not,
1: it's not. And I did, I read a post recently that like still sticks with me. Um, it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, it said, Can we bring back the stigma that alcohol is not acceptable? Um, because I was just on a play date with my kid and the other mom was drink making margaritas and she's like, Hey, have a margarita. And I didn't want to tell her, no, I'm an alcoholic. I can't because then I'm the bad person. Uh So I just had to keep saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. Because if I were to just say I'm the alcoholic and I'm the one that has the problem, not the mom who was day drinking margaritas in the middle of the day. Exactly. It's me who got sober, who has the problem and I'm the yeah. outcast. So yeah. now I can't even feel comfortable taking my kids on play dates without having alcohol shoved down my throat all the time.
2: Well, and I'm not sure. I'm sure you're on a lot of sides of TikTok, but probably not the, you know, mommy side that that I have. And it is, you know, they've got their yeti's and they're sneaking, you know, whatever and oh, I put ice cream and vodka in it and like just it's it's insane to me that um the culture is that if you're a mom and your kids are driving you nuts or even if they're great or whatever, you deserve this. Like that is that is to me for what I Hear and see it's like it's like this whole pass of you're a mom, and you know we deal with a lot of shit all day, and um yeah, you need to get drunk,
1: yep, and that's and that is i mean and it even goes back to like I think it really took off around desperate housewives uh-huh. like it really like went to a new level of being acceptable, yes, and yes. it was around twenty years ago, and then during quarantine, it got so much worse. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, we're we have liquor stores in PA that can't sell certain liquors right now and they can only sell so much quantity of them because they're out of stock and they can't manufacture enough.
2: Because everybody drank it.
1: Yeah. Holy fuck. Like, it is so bad. Like, it- drink, and people just like, oh, he's just drinking. Like, and no offense to like my parents, when I came back from rehab, you know, they're normies. My parents, they don't they don't understand. They they barely understood me going to rehab. Yeah. Um. They wanted me to go to rehab before, and I kept just saying no. I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, they're, you know, they're not drinkers, but they party. They know how to throw a party. You know, so there's always liquor in my house, mm-hmm. my parents' house. And I came back. They're like, oh, you can, you know, you can have a drink. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to AA. I'm good. Like my birthday, they're like, you can have a drink with dinner. My first sober birthday. I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to go to AA. I went to three meetings that day. I think four actually. Yeah. But like, yeah. I don't. I, I can't it doesn't end well for me. Like no. sometimes I did good for nine months. And then as soon as I got that hangover, do you know how I cured hangovers pills, you know? So as soon as I woke up hungover and that thought of like, okay, I can either find pills. I can either drink this away or I can never drink again. Those are my three choices. Mm-hmm. And so I chose option three, luckily. Um, but the other two choices were keep drinking you know, hair of the dog. Uh, popular phrase. Fucking right. sell T-shirts and hats. Hair of the dog. But like, Every, you know, yeah, yeah. But like, or people like, oh, just eat a pill, you'll be fine. You know, it's from a, it's from a doctor. You're allowed to. Yeah. Like th- this whole dope sick thing that's going on with that show. It's finally opening up some people's eyes as to what we saw on the streets. Yeah. You know, we saw those clinics. We saw the lines outside. We got in the lines. We didn't say anything about them. We got in the line to join them. You know, we knew what they were doing, but they knew what they were doing, too. They were lying. You know, all of them, the pharmaceutical companies were lying about how addictive um, Oxy was. And, you know, I I watched that show. I've only been triggered once watching that show so far. Mm -hmm. And it was just because, like, Michael Keaton's an amazing actor. Mm Mm-hmm. And have you been watching it at all on Hulu? No. Okay, so no. like he's no, a doctor but- in West Virginia. Yeah. It's based on a true story. And when Purdue rolled out um, Oxy, they, they rolled it out in Maine, and they rolled it out in West Virginia, and they rolled it out somewhere else. But it was all like areas where there was hardworking people, like miners, farmers, people that got back their back injuries. Yep. That cut, They specifically targeted them. And then they would talk to the doctors, and Michael Keaton's a doctor, and, you know, eventually he gets hooked. <clears throat> and, the, and the first time he sniffed the pill instead of ate it after a recommendation from a dealer, um, he got – he did it off his coffee table, and when he sat back onto his couch after he did that, like, I felt that with every fiber of my being. Yeah. Like, I, I remembered, like, that <sighs> – Mm-hmm. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, and I <laughs> felt that. And I said to my wife, well, that's the first time I've been triggered in a while. Wow. And she was like, you good? I said, I am now. Cause I said it out loud. Yeah. But if I didn't say it out loud, I would have been in my head. And that's not someplace that needs to be.
0: Right.
1: And that's why I talk about what it was that triggered me, how it triggered me and why it triggered me. Cause if I don't talk about the triggers and why they're there and how they're there and how I can get rid of them, they stay there. Yep. And then they push me out. Yep. You know, that's the thing about whenever you are triggered, fucking talk about it. Call somebody. That's why step four and step five are so important. You need to talk to somebody. Everyone's like, oh, four is so important. Five is really important. Five mm-hmm. is talking. Anyone can write shit down. Mm-hmm. But to say it out loud, it makes it real. Mm-hmm. To share it with somebody else in your higher power is what makes it real. Yeah. You know, and my higher power is Bill Murray. And my man has heard a lot of shit from me over the years. (laughs) And (laughs) and my wife even says, thank Bill. Instead of saying thank God all the time, we say thank Bill.
2: (laughs) Thank Bill. Oh, my God. I love it. And that's that's the thing. But all right, I love that, too, because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do AA because it's so religious based. And I always say the same thing. God is God. Higher power is whatever you want it to be. Your higher power is Bill Murray. That's fucking awesome
1: and it you wasn't know? at first it was the rooms at first my higher power was the rooms at first yep. i couldn't i couldn't say god i had such yeah. a problem because of grown yep. up catholic that like i pulled yep. away from the church so much over the years Absolutely. in addiction yep. that i i and i lost so many people over the years i was like i can't say god and like yeah. even my third step i was almost refusing. i was refusing i was outright refusing to say let go let god i was outright refusing it Um, I got a tattoo of Let It Be instead as a workaround Mm -hmm. that I would commit to it, that I would get Let It Be tattooed on me instead. Um, But, like, I had a problem with it. The rooms were my higher power. And then I was watching a documentary on Bill Murray and about how zen he lives his life and just shows up to places just because he wants to exist with regular people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I fucking love that. Like, he showed up to a frat party in London once and did their dishes and left. (laughs) That's really cool. Like, there's a recording of him. There's a video recording of him doing dishes at this fraternity house in London, and he just walked out and left afterwards. That's like, amazing. Like he just shows up. People were like, "Guys are at urinals," and um, he's he lives in South Carolina, most of the time in Charleston, and he has a baseball team that he ha- he owns, and a minor league team, and he, he'll go up to people in the urinals and tap them on the shoulder and get, "No one will ever believe you," and whisper in their ear and then walk out of the room. It's a whisper. <laughs> I'm no, no, that no, that's all he whispers. If you're at a urinal and all of a sudden you feel an arm on you, yeah. it's him in your ear saying nobody will ever believe you, and then ah! he'll walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh like, my God,
2: that's yeah, hysterical.
1: Yeah, he does a lot of it. There's a lot of amazing stories. Um, a guy I know did a documentary that was on Netflix for a while. That's the one I was talking about, and that yeah, that he tells all those stories. It's called Bill Murray Stories. And it's all these people telling stories about when they met Bill Murray. A couple was doing engagement photos and he just showed up and started taking pictures with them. He shows up to like he sees a bunch of cars outside of a house, like a birthday party. He walks right in and just starts hanging out with the birthday party. And I that's the
2: that. uh, that's there, really fucking
1: cool. There was a thing in there that really caught my attention that where I said, Okay, he's my higher power now. And it was a story, it's an old proverb that I'd never heard before. And it was about this old farmer. And um, his horse ran away. And the neighbor walked over and said, I'm so sorry about your horse, man. That, like, that's a shame. And he goes, ah, it is what it is. Like, we'll see. The next day, the horse came back with three more horses. He goes, And the farmer walks over. and goes, that's amazing. You have four horses now for your field. He said, ah, we'll see. The next day, his son is, you know, out there with the horses. And the wild horse flipped them off and he broke his leg. And the farmer, the next neighbor walks over and goes, I'm so sorry about your son. He goes, ah, we'll see. It'll be okay. The next day army comes through recruiting people for the war he couldn't go because he had a broken leg you know so like there's all and i said that not word for word but that's that's what i hold with me and i was like holy shit that's the power of we'll see of patience of being zen and i was like bill mary's my higher power now and that was like the birth of that and there was a couple weeks ago i was really down you know what i mean heidi like it was a tuesday I was so depressed. I didn't speak out loud for like 12 hours. That's how depressed I was. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any meetings that day. Nobody came to my meetings that day and I didn't do any podcasts. I just sat in this room, not even at home with my wife. Cause I needed to be alone. Cause I was so upset and so depressed and, you know, and it's about dumb shit like money, like how are we going to pay rent? You know, and that kind of stuff. And it's not even dumb shit. People prioritize that, but I don't prioritize money problems usually. But that day it was really weighing on me. I was supposed to get a job with CVS and then they backed out last minute. And it, like I felt fucked over and I was just so down and out. At one point I said to myself, Thank God I'm not in Jersey right now, or else I'd relapse. It was that bad. Two days later, my friend showed up out of nowhere from LA and we went around painting for 10 hours all over the place, all around our area. Um, she has amazing murals, like amazing murals. And I got to see people light up with joy when they saw Jules walk in to start painting for him. Mm-hmm. And I got to hang out with her and talk recovery and talk painting and bullshit for 10 hours. We got, you know, and when she left, I felt renewed again, yeah. you know, and I was like, that's why you wait. Yeah. That's why you fucking wait. Because if I would have relapsed on Tuesday, guess who wouldn't have answered her phone call on Thursday? Mm hmm. So that's why you wait, and that's why there's patience, because whenever something's really bad, you just wait, good shit will come again. You just need to be patient. So, like, and I've learned that in sobriety, and I'm sure in your 11 this years. This
0: episode like- is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. The name sounds familiar because it is where my podcast studio is held. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. And since we can't get any of the local businesses to sponsor what we do here, I figure I'll sponsor the podcast. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet somewhere. I can do this in a basement somewhere. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery, and I can do this podcast. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. You know, we've had a lot of amazing success stories that keep me so filled with gratitude that I do this. We're here all day long, running meetings all day long because we wanna help as many people as we can. And even when we help one, that's the biggest victory in the world. And that's how I feel right now. So if you can help out what we do here, That would be amazing. You know, we do have a Venmo, we have a cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to, and, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. In those 11 years,
2: um, in the beginning, I did a lot of meetings and step work, and then Um, you know, as my son was getting older and he was involved in more things, you know, school and sports and like, I just kind of got away from the program.
1: I was just going to ask you that question. If you ever had any time away.
2: I did. And, you know. My sobriety never has wavered, never, not once. But when people say, hey, yeah, you were sober, but were you emotionally sober? And that, like, always stirs up this feeling of me of, like, "Mm, yeah, you know, how fucking emotionally sober was I? Or, you know, because I've been, you know, we deal with shit on our own. And when we do, my God. (laughs) the stuff you know that is in our head is absolutely insane so i after the pandemic i have really circled back to i do need meetings and i do i don't just need them i want them because it's connection and so i've done it both ways and and i'm here to say You can stay sober any fucking way you want. You can go live in the woods and, you know, never do a meeting a day in your life. And if that's how you stay sober, great. Um, But I like to connect with people that think exactly like me. And it makes me feel less insane. Um, The opposite of addiction is connection. And if we just don't feel alone you know um if we cannot feel alone for an hour or or however long you know that that can change that can change the trajectory of somebody's path
0: yep
1: and
2: that's you know and our own yep so thank you again you are awesome thanks
1: so are you thank (laughs) you i will shoot you a message when this is up and running Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You too. See you.